All right, everybody. Merry name tag month. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The liturgical season that follows after Advent, the 12 days of Christmas, Epiphany, and then name tag month. A wonderful time in the church calendar for us to get to know one another. My name is Ben. I don't have my name tag on. (laughs) Happy Merry Name Tag Month to you. I'm Ben. I'm a pastor here at the church, and we're continuing a series we've been in, in the uh, looking at the stories that Jesus tells. Uh, And today we're in a very famous, well-known portion of scripture, Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Um, It's lengthy, but good. And this is what I want you to imagine as I read it. Here is the scene. Jesus is eating. It's a party atmosphere. And around the table are all kinds of people. Ragamuffins riffraff, tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. On the outside of the party, there are grumpy religious people looking in. You are the grumpy religious people. And this is the story that Jesus says to you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God, before one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you help us to see this parable with fresh eyes so that we might join the party. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, it's one of the most well-loved and well-known stories in all of Scripture and rightly known, but, uh, and rightly so. But the danger with texts like these, of course, is over-familiarity. And we have been asking the Lord to be gracious to us throughout this service by giving us new eyes to see these parables, new hear- ears to hear them afresh. Uh, We need that prayer doubly this morning because a shallow reading of this text is already baked right in to our biblical uh, translations, our English translations. Often the little title above this parable is the parable of the prodigal son, right? And we, when we read the story in the context of that heading, it's not very helpful because the story isn't mostly or even primarily about the younger son. It's about the father, and it's secondarily about the elder brother. And so one commentator says that a better title for the story would be, though it doesn't have the same ring to it, would be the parable about a father and a brother's response to a lost and restored son. This is told to insiders 
who are lost, not joining the party. They are lost and they need to be found and restored to the Father's heart. Let me just give a few observations that I hope will help us see this text freshly. First observation, this story has a context. It isn't given randomly. It's given as an answer to a question that the Pharisees ask. The question is raised by Jesus' conspicuous activity of eating with all the wrong people. And the words for for eating with these people, they're in the present tense meeting. This is something that he's doing all the time. And so the Pharisees are looking in to Jesus having what must have been a fairly raging party because of the parables that he tells. And they say, and they, well, they don't say, they grumble. They grumble. And that's the second observation. Grumble is an important word in the scriptures. It's only used two times in the New Testament, both in Luke, once here, and once in chapter 19, verse 7, to describe the response of the Pharisees to Jesus showing hospitality to Zacchaeus. So a very similar situation, and they grumble. Now, when you see grumble in the Scriptures, you need to go back to the first time that that word is used in the Scriptures, which is Exodus chapter 16. After the Israelites have been had this great salvation, they find themselves in a wilderness, in an unmapped and difficult country, and they are scared and questioning God's provision for them. Luke wants us to think about their, that experience in this context, that there's some connection. Well, it seems like the Pharisees feel like they're in a wilderness, but not a geographical wilderness. It's a relational wilderness, a wilderness of tax collectors and sinners, people who make them feel unsafe or unsure. And they are questioning God's provision, not that it's too little, bread from heaven, or will he provide? He's providing too much mercy to the wrong people. The Pharisees are murmuring in a relational wilderness of tax collectors and sinners. And Israel's murmur and grumbling is in the background. And Jesus responds to their grumble with a set of interlocking stories. Next observation. There are four parables that Jesus tells, not three which is the usual count. And they are arranged in a spiraling intensification, like you're going around a target until you hit a bullseye. The first parable counts 100 sheep. One is lost and one is found. The second is a count of 10 coins of which one is lost and one is found. The second story is a story of two in which one is lost and one is found. And in the fourth story, there's just one. One out of a hundred, 
one out of ten, one out of two, and then we have no question who's at the center of the bullseye because there's just one. A funneling of our attention into the last character, the last interaction with the elder brother. The first three stories are set up with similarities and differences that if we notice them will help us get the punchline of the fourth story. So the first thing I want us to do, the next thing, not the first thing, we've already done a number of things. (laughs) The next thing that I want us to do is notice the striking similarities in these stories. In each one, something of great value is lost. In each one, there is a search The thing of great value was found. Then fourthly, there is a raging party that involves not only the one who has searched and found, but all of his families, friends, and neighbors. And it's a story about God seeking and searching after people because they're very valuable to him. And it doesn't seem to matter how the thing is lost. Because there are differences as well. Different kinds of lostness. Yes, you have the, lo- the, the lost son, the runaway rebel, giving the middle finger to the father. Wasting all of his possessions on a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Active rebellion. And I know some of this rebellion in my own life. But there are other kinds of lostness. There's the lostness of the sheep. Sheep don't have middle fingers. Sheep don't rebel. Sheep don't scheme and plan against the shepherd. How are we going to get away? Sheep wander. Gradually. Little by little. They eat a little bit of grass over here. They see a squirrel over there. (laughs) They eat a little bit of grass over here. And then suddenly they wake up and the flock's gone. And so is the shepherd. People do that too. Some people are far from God and there's nothing deliberate or willful about it. They've wandered off through 10,000 small decisions and distractions and moments They started out with the flock. They grew up in church. And they never said to themselves, I hate God. In fact, they probably have a vague affection for the shepherd. Some good memories of faith. And a moment of need or crisis wakes them up to the fact, oh my, what happened? I feel so far from him. Some people wander. The lostness of the sheep. And then there's the lostness of the coin. Here's the thing. The lamb has a will. Not very strong, but it has a will. The coin doesn't even have that. It's inanimate. The coin is misplaced because someone else misplaced it. The coin is like my keys. (laughs) Or my wallet. They didn't rebel. (laughs) I misplaced them. And sometimes the reason people around us are far from God is because people have done something to them. 
The church has done something to them. A parent has done something to them. They've been misplaced and now they're like the Lego underneath the washer. It wasn't the Lego's fault. But however we're lost, through, through our wandering or someone else's carelessness or our own rebellion, all are treated the same. They are all objects of God's love, longing, and search. Consider the wackiness of the shepherd. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one until he finds it? I think the implied answer is not many shepherds do that. That seems kind of crazy to me. You'd have to ask Isaac. Maybe he has a different opinion about such things. He knows a lot about sheep and shepherds. But for me, it's bad economics. Why fret over one soul? But God does. He's crazy in love. We see the same activity after the coin. A woman, God portrayed as a woman bursting into a house with a broom. So not to dude clean the house. That's what happens when I clean our house, which is just that you pick it up a little bit. And then my wife cleans the house. And it's a different kind of cleaning. So is the search for the coin because it is so valuable. God, like a woman, reaching and cleaning, sweeping for you. God, like a shepherd, leaving the 99, searching for you. Both of those searches are incredibly active. And then there is the search for the sun, which is a search, but is very different. Because apparently the way you look for a sun is different than the way you look for an animal or a coin. The father is not chasing He is searching, mostly because the son wanted to leave. It was his choice. And the father is a gentleman. But that doesn't mean there isn't a search. He's searching the horizon every day, longing, hoping, praying. While he was still a long ways off, the text says. Think about all of the grief and love and desire embedded in that verse. Some of us know what it's like to look for others who have been estranged from us, who have wanted to leave. I think it's helpful to think that God is searching with us, is it not? Maybe some of us are like the sun and we've chosen to go our own way and we realize that it's not as, as much as it's cracked up to be and to know that he's scanning the horizon for us. This sun comes home and what is he met with? Scorn, shame, punishment. That's what he was expecting, I think, to receive. But what does he receive? 
God is not the patriarch who stays home, doesn't move, and expects his children to come to him, apologize for their aberrant behavior, beg for forgiveness, and promise to do better. On the contrary, he leaves the house. He searches the horizon. And when he sees the slightest motion towards him, he ignores his dignity by running towards his child, paying no heed to their apologies or promises to change, and embraces them, and stops their apologies with his kisses and and, uh, replaces their clothes with the best robes, feeds their hunger with his fullness and brings them to a table highly prepared for them. In each of the three stories, something is lost, something is found, and the result is a party, an eruption of joy, a joy that is deeply inclusive and participative. It starts in the shepherd's heart, in the woman's heart, in the father's heart, but overflows to everyone around. Even the company of heaven gets involved in the party. This isn't a private experience, it's a public one. And it's one in which the reader is supposed to join in and share. Because the the sense of joy builds as the thing that gets lost becomes more and more significant and valuable. Have you ever lost an animal, a dog, and then found it? It's a pretty happy thing. You might call some people and say, I lost Olive, and I found her. Bernadoodle party, let's get it on. But what about losing like, uh, like a wedding ring, something very valuable to you, and you search and you find it. You might throw a party. You might bring other people in. But when you lose a person and get them back, have you ever lost a person and got them back? At one point in my life, I thought I lost my marriage. And I got it back. And it's like the most happy, joyful thing in the world. We're entering God's joy as it relates to people. God's joy and heart as it relates to you and me. And here, here's the thing. The story could have ended there. You rebellious ones, you wandering sheep, you lost coin folks. But the story isn't for them. In Jesus' world, they're already in on the party. Everything that's been told thus far is for the person who's not yet found. There's a fourth story. And it's been, the target's been on this guy all along. The one who hasn't done anything wrong, who stayed home, followed the rules, worked hard on the farm, but there's something deeply lost about his heart. He doesn't know much about grace. He only knows deserving. He's lost to his own need. He's lost in a prison of his own judgmentalness. And he finds himself outside of the party. It's a different kind of lostness, a fourth kind. Not the runaway rebel, the stay at home rebel. This is a gear, this is a story geared to those who think they are found, 
which makes their lostness the worst kind of all because they don't figure out, they don't realize they're lost. People pretending to have it all forgever, together avoiding their recognition of lostness and not being able to experience the loud and exuberant celebration that the world needs to see of the lost being found. Here's what stinks about this story. We've made it so often into a simple morality tale about the danger of the younger brother's life. So it becomes the occasion to scold wayward youth to turn to the straight and narrow. To come to the defense of the current social order instead of calling those within the existing order to repentance. It becomes a parable spoken to outsiders rather than insiders, and that's to lose the whole point. It says after the, the parable of the sheep what, about the 99 who didn't repent, who were righteous. But I think righteous should be in parentheses, in quotation marks, because that's what the story is about. They do need to repent. They are the insiders who have always been in the Father's house, but who have never really known the Father. They are lost. But listen, there's a search. Did you notice that? The Father comes outside of the party to seek the elder brother's heart, to look for his son, to encourage him to come into the feast, wooing, inviting everything that I have Is yours, he says. Will the elder brother be found? Jesus doesn't finish the story. You and I have to finish it. How will we react when the new wine of younger brothers and sisters actually come into our church? putting their new wine into our old wineskins and burst them, what will we do? Will we create new wineskins? Will we feel like we're in a relational wilderness of people who don't look, smell, or act like us? Or we, will we recognize that the kingdom party is upon us? And will we join in? Or will we grumble? And if we grumble, what does it say about us and our need to repent. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you seek us through stories. You come in with your creativity and your word pictures and you mean to move our hearts I don't know what resonated with people maybe it was the different kinds of lostness maybe it was the heart of the father maybe we felt in our hearts the coldness of the elder brother but this story is meant to be like an ice pick (laughs) that, that breaks apart cold hearts And calls us back to joy. And so I pray, Lord God, 
that you would lead us to a place. Lead us into the party. Come search for us by your spirit. Bring us to the table and remind us that we are yours. We give you great thanks and praise. In Christ's name, amen.